Hey, welcome to Oasis Singles. My name is Pastor Dave, and I'm so excited you're here. By the way, this site is not just about Christian dating service reviews and so forth, but it's also about life advice, all things Christian single. We have articles, we have interactive ways that you can get in touch with each other, and we also have podcasts that are all about the Christian life. I hope you enjoy our site, and I hope you enjoy the podcast you're about to listen to right now. God bless. about marriage. That's why I knew I needed her help. Because for sure. For, for sure. sure. <laughs> now, I'm aware our church family is made up of a variety of people. We have a, a great church family. And uh, some of you may be single and never been married. Uh, you may never want to get married. And we recognize that today. But you will learn some great relationship principles. Uh, some of you may be single and want to get married uh, someday. And of course, this will be good preparation. We also know that there are some people here that are single again, that maybe went through a divorce, uh, or maybe you lost a spouse, and uh, we know that, that uh, you're a part of our church family and value today. Also, we have uh, young people maybe uh, here today learning and preparing for marriage at some point. And then we have a whole variety of married folks here. We have people that have been married a long time. Some have been married a very short time. In fact, I'd love to know how many of you have been married more than 50 years? Wow, anybody more than 60 years? Yeah, we, let's clap for all the 50s and over. There you go. And anybody more than 60 years? You're married more than 60 years. I see a hand back here. Yes, look at this. Charles and Dottie Sheeler. Congratulations, guys. Would you like to come up and teach this morning? We have, you've, got, you've got almost 30 more years experience than what we do. We also have people here, I'm sure, that have just been married recently. Do we have anybody that's been married less than a month? Any newlyweds here today? All right. How about less than six months? All right. Hey. Oh, back here we have... Oh, these guys. You were just married a couple weeks ago back here. I see Mike and Amber. Great. And I saw a hand over here. Heather, our daughter, and Josh. Been married for about four months. So we've got the whole spectrum of marriages in terms of how long we've been married. We also recognize part of our church family here today are marriages that are just doing really great. Couldn't be better. You're living on cloud nine, never have an argument. It's perfect. You can come up and help teach us also. Um, and then I'm sure we have marriages that may be struggling. In fact, you may be in a lot of pain today as you're sitting here. Maybe your spouse isn't with you. Uh, maybe you're going through a very difficult time. Uh, we, we recognize that that may be part of who's here today. We also recognize that there are probably a lot of us that just need uh, a little bit of spark added to our marriages. There may be some that are, that are coasting, maybe some that, that just need some encouragement. So wherever you are today, we believe God's word is going to speak to you and encourage you uh, as we look at this together. One of our responsibilities as a church, we believe, is to raise high the value of marriage, to lift it up to where God declared it to be. We believe we're to strengthen marriages and to help people to be an example uh, to the world around us because our culture has a pretty distorted view of marriage. Would you agree with that? I mean, when you think about all the voices that are regularly fed uh, to, to those of us that, that live here in the United States, there's so many different voices, so many different themes of, of, of marriage that are modeled. You know, you have Oprah's voice, you know, who makes comments and she is 
such a well-respected uh, spokesperson that when she says something, people will pay attention to it. Uh, and then you have, you know, you have all kinds of voices that are speaking marriage. You have examples. You have celebrity marriages that, you know, I'm not sure who, who's Tom with now, you know, or who, Brad and Angela. You know, you have, you have these, these people that everybody recognizes, and you read all about their relationships, and then a, a year or two later, you, you recognize, you know, hey, they went through one of these wonderfully amicable divorces where everybody's still happy, and then there's another celebrity to, to, to find. You know, so we, we have all these confusing uh, messages. So we believe the church needs to stand up and speak a biblical voice to the world around us. And that's one reason why no matter whether you're married or single here today, you need to recognize that we all have a part to play in actually being a prophetic voice to our culture because God's word has truth and God's word is what we can build on. People have reacted differently to, to our culture's view. We have some people have gotten very cynical about marriage. Uh, we have a higher rate of couples living together not married in our country today than we ever have. And that's a concern. It's a concern because it affects everything. It's interesting. We own a rental property in the city, and uh, just recently we had the one apartment unit available for rent, and we had about 22 couples, I believe it was, we counted, that wanted to apply for, for living there. And out of those 22 couples, only two were married. It's like that many, that high a percentage that we're just living together. So we just use that as an opportunity to talk about how important it is to be committed in a marriage relationship, living together, and uh, that you know, that's really what's going to work in the long run, and that we will be a full-service landlord. We'll marry you if you need somebody to marry you. Anyway. So, so, you know, our culture... Is, is messed up in the area of marriage. I think there's lots of agreement on that, and that concerns us. But something that concerns me a lot more is the fact every research that researches evangelical Christians across our nation says that the values and the practices of marriage and commitment to marriage is very little different among evangelical Christians than what it is in our culture. And that should concern every one of us. Because we need to live by a higher standard. So we're believing today God's going to not only equip those of you that are married to uh, enhance your marriage, but also equip all of us to just refresh what God said about marriage. So we invite all of you to engage with us as we talk about marriage today. So why would God design something like marriage anyway? Did you ever ask that question? Think about it. You have two people. You have a male and a female. Incompatibility? I think so. It's a setup. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. Uh, we come from different backgrounds. We have different values, different standards, uh, different mindsets. Sometimes one of us is a little bit slower to get going in the morning. The other loves to stay up late at night. One might be always wanting to get there early. The next one, the other, yeah, just take our time. Get there a little late is okay. Well, nobody's pointing at anybody here today, no, of though. of course not. I want to make sure about that. Uh, so all, like... Two imperfect people trying to come together. One left brain, one right. So how does it work? All of our idiosyncrasies. <laughs> That's a big the word. The things we bring into the marriage, right? Isn't it amazing? One of my favorite books is Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. <laughs> we all have idiosyncrasies, right? Yeah, your spouse could probably tell you a bunch of yours. You know, I have, one of my idiosyncrasies, I love to clean my nose out 
when I'm, when I'm driving my car to make sure. And floss his teeth I while I steer. I floss while I drive, too. You know, that's an idiosyncrasy, I think, isn't it? I'm just glad he flosses his teeth. You know, I'm trying to look at the good side. You know how that is. And, you know, one of hers is she cannot stand to have anything in our waste can, in our kitchen. And I say, honey, that's what it's for. It's a waste can. You drop something in there, and boom, it goes, it goes out to the garage. It, it, it has never been full in its, its entire life, 20, 20 years. It's amazing. Well, but then, see, I'm not a slob, so, you know, that's, right. that's the other side. Absolutely. That's why I love you. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, babe. <laughs> so, God says that the two of us are to love each other, stay attracted to each other, remain faithful and committed to each other for the rest of our lives. So what was he thinking? Did you <laughs> ever ask God that? What were you thinking, God, in some of the hard days? So why did God design marriage? Well, first of all, for companionship. He, he wanted us to have someone to do life with. And I'm going to read Genesis uh, 2.18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. It's amazing that if you think about it, all the things that God had said that he created, he said they were very good. And then he created man. And he said, it's not good. Well, I mean... Man's good, but... Watch well, what you say. You're good, babe. Man's good, but the fact that he was alone wasn't good. And yet the world at that time was totally perfect. Mm -hmm. Sin had not come into the world, and yet God said it's not good. Think about the importance that God's placing on the need for a man to have a woman. I mean, we all know that, but wow. That's kind of reinforced it to me again. Will for you too. Uh, and, and then I was just thinking, what would a world be like that was full of men? Well, anyway, we I, go there. I, hey, we got an excited man back there. You know, I, I doubt if language would have ever been uh, invented if it was just men. I mean, we don't need to talk to them. You know, just grunt, you know. Mm, right, Ralph? Mm, mm, yeah. Anyway, it's your turn. My turn, okay. Uh, the second reason we believe God designed marriage is for oneness. Oneness. This is a powerful word. In Genesis 2.24, it's right after God uh, invented Eve, I almost say, after he made Eve. Uh, this says, this, explain, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. It's an incredible mystery that two are united into one. See, when Adam was created, it says God put him in a deep sleep and took Eve out of Adam. So God took her out make a companion, uh, someone to do life with, and then he said, I now join you together, two people becoming one. And the expression of the oneness is what's called the one flesh relationship or the sexual relationship. In fact, if you read in the, in the um, King James Bible, it calls it uh, the two shall become one flesh. And so that's how God so designed marriage for this holy, sacred intimacy and preserve that for marriage so that this coming together would be a regular coming together that God would draw the husband and wife together and its expression of who God himself is. And it's to be a physical expression, a spiritual expression, and an emotional expression, becoming one. It's amazing how God designed us. God also designed marriage to provide a secure environment for raising our kids, raising our children. Uh, godly seed, his desire to have godly seed to replenish the earth with 
kids that know God and love God and can carry on the message of Jesus. I'd like to read Malachi 2, 15 and 16. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard yourself. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. It is as cruel as putting on a victim's bloodstained coat, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself. Always remain loyal to your wife. Really strong words there. You know, and I just want to say, for those of you that have gone through divorce, some of you have not wanted it to happen, and it did. Well, none of us really want it to happen, do we? But God does heal and forgive. So I just want to reassure you of that today. He is so faithful and loves us in spite of our mistakes. But you can see why God designed marriage then to create that security for children. And um, that's why he designed it to be permanent. So children would have a safe place and there would be a, a, a way to, uh, for children to, to be trained and raised up, as it said there, to be godly uh, children. It's one of the building blocks of every society. And that's why uh, marriages are, are providing strength to our nation. And that's one of the big concerns that we have right now because of the devaluing of marriage it's creating chaos in our families. It's creating children that are being raised without a solid, secure commitment of two parents. Some of you here may be single parents, a mom or a dad, raising your kids alone. And, you know, our, we salute you. It's not a job that is easy because it wasn't designed to be that way. But God's grace is available to you. And as a church family, we should do all we can to reach out and help families that are walking through a one-parent situation because God designed it to be uh, two and his grace will be there to help as we walk through that. The th fourth reason uh, that we believe God designed marriage is to provide an example of Christ and his church. Provide an example of Christ and the church. Can you believe that God would have valued marriage so much that he said, if you guys get a picture of marriage, you get a picture of how much I, Jesus, love my church and my relationship with the church. In Ephesians 5, Verse uh, 31, it says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and his church are one. So that's God's view of marriage. It's so high that he actually uses it to compare his relationship with us. Talk about value. Talk about a mystery. The fifth reason we believe God designed marriage, and this one hurts more than any of the other ones, it's to shape our character. Or I could put it this way, to help us face our stuff. We all have stuff, right? You know, we can hide our stuff when we're not in a close relationship. God wants us to grow up. He wants us to put on the character of Jesus, to walk with the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And I don't know of any relationship more than a marriage that will bring out our stuff. It really will. Not too long ago, I talked to a young couple who had, who had performed the ceremony for and I asked them how things were going, and, uh, and they, they told me things were going well, but they said, one thing we discovered, and that's how selfish we are. And I thought, there's a couple that will grow because they're recognizing that right away. But isn't it true? It's so easy to be selfish, and marriage gives us that opportunity to face our stuff and say, you know, why am I responding that way? Maybe it's because I'm, you know, uh, I'm holding some unforgiveness, or maybe there's junk from my past, whatever it may be. So I believe God uses marriage to help shape our character to become more like Jesus. That's good news. It might hurt, but it's good news. The Bible says in Proverbs 27:17 that iron sharpens iron. 
as iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. And that's so true in marriage, and sometimes the sparks fly. That's for sure. Both ways, though. Good, sometimes good, they're good, good sparks, right? All right. So God's design for marriage is one of high value. It's sacred. It's holy. God's design is one man, one woman for life. That's the simple version of God's design for marriage. He wants it to be permanent, and I believe God wants it to be full of life. God wants our marriages to experience his life. No matter what stage of marriage we're in, he wants us to experience his life. In John 10, 10, the last part of the verse, it says, my purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. Uh, New King James, I believe, says abundant life, abundant life. I believe God wants that in every area of our lives. And so let's apply that into our marriages. God wants us to have marriages that have life in them, life in them. One of the things that, that we've discovered along the way is that marriages are like a living thing. And living things need to be nurtured. They need to be fed. They need to be cared for. They need to be uh, fertilized, watered. If you, if you think about plants, plants don't do too well without nurture. I mean, some of you can probably kill plants without even trying, right? And others, they, they seem to just grow for you. But the key is, do you nurture those plants? I remember uh, years ago, it might be 15 years ago or more, uh, when our offices were up in the, in the two-story house, uh, our office manager at that time was not necessarily someone that cared much about plants. But we had this fig tree there. And this thing kept going through, you know, spells of dying <laughs> because it was neglected. And so one day I, I said, hey, let's put that thing out of its misery or let's care for it. And she so said, no, let's save it. Yeah. There's hope. You know, we can save it. Yeah. So I said, you know, she said, we'll take it. She said, it's just, it's going to die here. So we brought it home. And there were four leaves left on four it. Four leaves on this. Fig and tree. it was a fig tree, yeah. you know, one of those nice fig trees. Well, Doris took this thing, and things just grow for her. They really do. I water them <laughs> every week. That's it. It's pretty water them, a little bit of fertilizer. But this thing now, 15 or 18 years later, is, is still growing. It's beautiful. We have to keep trimming it down because it gets too big for our sunroom. And people remark about this beautiful fig tree. All we did was nurture it. Well, see, marriages are that way. They need nurtured. And that's our part to do. God doesn't do that for us. You know, sometimes we put more work and effort into things that don't even count in our life. You know, we'll learn how to do this, we'll learn how to do that, we'll take classes for this, but when it comes to marriage, somehow we think if we need help, there's something wrong with us. Hello? Of course there's something wrong with all of us, but how about if we recognize that we need help and nurture our marriages? I especially this morning, as we were praying, felt that God wanted to challenge us those of us whose marriages maybe have just been coasting along. And I'm sure there's parts of all of our marriages that could identify with that. But, you know, there's, there's, there's something God wants to challenge us in because it's dangerous to stay in a place where we're just coasting along. We're in complacency. It's like a boat adrift at sea. It's subject to every wind that comes along. It's worth doing whatever it takes to strengthen and nurture our marriages, to have God's life coming into it. This was brought so clear to us just a few months ago. Uh, there was a couple who came in and talked to us in our office, and we asked them today if, if we could share a little bit of their story, and they're not here. Someday they'll, they'll share their story uh, personally. Uh, but we're not going to use their names, but it, it's so reflected what can happen uh, if a marriage is just coasting. They came into our office devastated. Their teenage daughter had just discovered the dad, her dad, uh, had been on internet chat rooms, sexually explicit chat rooms, regularly. And it just, 
blew this family uh, apart for a period of time. But fortunately, they reached out for help. When they came in, sat down, began to share their pain and where they were. And here was the deal. This couple had been married 30 years, always been involved in church. Uh, on the surface, things looked great. Their friends would have said they had a, had a great marriage. Uh, they, they knew the word. But they had never nurtured their marriage. Their marriage was always less than, than what God's design was to be. There was no sexual intimacy. Uh, there was walls that had built. They were pretty much living their life separately, and yet on the surface, everything looked fine. Boom. This, this marriage got rocked. Now, the good news is, when they came in and sat down in our office, and they just began to pour out their hearts, they were hurting. But both of them said, we're going to do whatever it takes to get this marriage back to the way God wants it to be. And it's so amazing to see what God can do with two people like that. Um, and, and, you know, today they have, they've got the newlywed glow. I'm serious. These guys are, are turned their lives uh, toward God, but they turned it toward God first of all and committed to do whatever it takes. And, you know, guys, it doesn't have to take that kind of a disaster. But I'll tell you, that kind of disaster is just around the corner if we are, if we are just coasting adrift in our marriages. There's a danger. And I felt the Spirit of God saying, that he wanted to warn us and encourage us today to nurture our marriages. You know, some of you maybe have tried in the past and, you know, and then you've kind of given up. It's like sometimes when we, we try to lose weight, you know, you try a couple different diets and nothing seems to work and after a while you just, okay, I'm just going to be fat. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to eat that donut. You know, I'm just going to help the economy by, by going down the road here to <laughs> the Dunkin' Donuts, you know. But marriages are too valuable for that. We need to uh, stand up and say, we're going to make a difference and let God make a difference. And that's why Doris and I have such a passion to see marriages have life in them, life in all of its fullness, so that, you know, they can be an example to our kids and to the people around us and to the world. So tell me, let's talk a little bit, talk back to me. What does a marriage that has life in, what does it look like? What are some of the earmarks of a marriage that honors God and, and that has this kind of life? What do you see? What, what, did the, what do you... Uh, recognize. Tell me. Just call out some things. Mutual respect. Good one. Mutual respect. Laughter. Have a lot of fun together. That is so important. Yes. What does it look like? Trust. Total trust. Absolutely. What are some other things? Yes. Ready to forgive. You speak from experience of a long, good marriage. I respect you so much. Yeah, Phil's wife couldn't be here today. She's struggling with an ear infection. Can we just pray right now, man? I, I love you, and I love your wife. Pray for her. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray for Rowena right now. I pray that you would restore her to health, Lord, that, that this uh, ear problem would be, would be uh, totally healed. And, Lord, thank you for the example they are in marriage to us, us young kids, Lord. They're great. Bless them today. Yes, forgiveness. What are some other things? Oh, Two or three people said that at the same time. That was pretty awesome. Communication. So marriages that have life in them have good communication. Great. What are some other things? Pardon? Honesty. Honesty. Speaking the truth and love. You know, in first service, I've got to tell you this. There was a guy sitting right over here, and he said sacrifice, but I thought he said sex every night. <laughs> <laughs> His wife just that one under the <laughs> under the thing. <laughs> it was hilarious. But you know what? <laughs> you know what? We're not setting any any 
every night standard here or anything. Make that clear. <laughs> but marriages that have life in them will be experiencing sexual intimacy. Hey, while we're on that subject, <laughs> uh -oh. let the lady talk. Because sometimes it's a men's kind of thing, and we ladies, you know, we need to realize that we have that need as well sexual intimacy, for sexual intimacy. And I just want to encourage us to pull together in that area, that there should be a regular sexual experience going on with us in our lives. That's good. Uh, Keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I also want to say uh, for you guys, if you will minister to your wives emotionally and listen to them, they'll be much more open to receiving from you guys sexually. Just remember that. If, if your wives are holding off a bit, maybe that's a reason. So, yeah, that's oh, a word there. Good word. Uh, Malachi, great. not Malachi. Where do I uh, want to First be? Corinthians 7. Thank maybe you can put that up. I think you have it back there. First Corinthians 7, verse 3. The husband should not. I cannot read that from here. The lighting <laughs> should not. All right. I'll read it from here. It's, it's Sorry, a good guys. word, so we'll get it. Here we go. Yeah, it's easier here. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So that's wow. so pretty that's, clear. That's uh, God's word on, on the sexual intimacy. So that's a mark of, none of you had the nerve to say it, but that's a mark of a marriage with life on it, life in it. Um, another one that we've, that we've noticed is that people believe the best about each other. Uh, couples that, that have a life-giving relationship, that they always believe the best about each other. And that's something Doris has modeled so well in our relationship. And I, I just, my hat's off to her because she, she always believes the best in everybody. And she, she especially has done that for me, and it's, it's terrific. Uh, there's a book called One Thing You Need to Know by Marcus Buckingham. It's a business book about management and leadership. But as I was reading that, it had a little thing in there about marriage, and it got my attention because it talked about this area. It said that they interviewed successful couples, like we're talking about here with, with life-giving relationships, and they were looking for what are some common ingredients. And one of the things they discovered, lots of different ingredients, you know, some had date nights, some did this, some did that, but the common ingredient in all of these marriages was that they believed the best about each other. It said almost, almost to the point of like when they first, you know, first got married, when people are so in love, they don't see each other's faults. They said that's a, a, a part of the ingredient in every successful marriage. And Buckingham summed it up like this. Find the most generous explanation of each other's behavior and believe it. Find the most generous explanation of each other's behavior and believe it. Think the best. Very scriptural, isn't it? The Bible talks about love always believes the best. I see Lester and Judy Miller sitting there. You guys have such a neat relationship. Thanks for modeling that to us in this congregation. Love believes the best. They model that. Uh, love thinks uh, good about the other person. Philippians 4, I believe it's verse 8, says, uh, dwell in those things that are lovely and positive and true and have a good report. So these are some of the things that, uh, that uh, help and recognize that we have uh, life in our relationships. One quick thing that the way that works for us, I, we're very different from each other. Believe it or not, we are. I'm a very go-get-it kind of person, very high energy, hooked to 220. 440. And, well, okay, 440. And Don's more laid back. And so I used to think, especially early, 
early in our marriage that why doesn't he just speed up a little or help me more or just show some expression or you know like I was thinking more in a negative way of how he should be more like me get more done and you know that's the goal of course you know that's the most important thing but then I was I realized that but he thinks through things that I don't and so I get in trouble because I don't at times <laughs> oh we could tell yeah, stories he's had to fix things and he's really good at fixing things but she gives a lot plenty of, plenty of opportunities to do that yeah. <laughs> but then yeah it's true okay it's true can I say uh, but then then I thought you know instead of getting upset about that what about the good side of that that really helps me because it keeps me from climbing the walls. Uh, and I realize he's very particular. Like in the, when he does things, he does it very thoroughly. And he was so particular and picked me. I mean, that's really amazing. <laughs> so, hey, that's the good part. Well, she turned that one around for herself, didn't she? Wow. <laughs> we women, we do that well. Oh, well. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's great. But So whenever I'm, whenever I'm frustrated by uh, Doris, uh, you know, being fast or rammy or impatient, I'm so reminded of how... I was attracted to this outgoing, vivacious, high-energy woman. That's what drew me to her. And you know what? You can almost always look at the things that drew you to your spouse. The flip side of that is the thing that bugs you the most. <laughs> it's a good lesson to learn. But if you just recast that in your mind and think the best about the per person instead of putting a judgment on them, it makes such a difference. All right. I have no idea where we are. Do you know where we are? Okay. Yeah. There we go. Um, I think I'm missing something here. Yeah, how about page four? <laughs> there you go. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so what we want to zero in on now, couples, to give you something to really take away, is one of these marks of a marriage that has life in it. And that, we believe, is one of the greatest factors, and that's the word security. Security. For a marriage to be lasting and life-giving for life, it needs security. Gary Smalley said this about security. People only stay connected and meaningful loving relationships when they feel secure. You can use marriage skills all day long, but if you don't have security, nothing works. Wow, that's, that's true. Uh, let's talk about security. What does it mean? Security means to feel safe, meaning you won't be criticized or condemned in the marriage relationship, to feel honored, to feel valued, understood, to be served. And security means having a commitment to the relationship. There's confidence that you'll stay together for life. Security. That's what brings security. Yeah, and security sometimes we think of it more as a female need. In fact, I've, I've heard that taught that, you know, wives really need security in a marriage, and that's very true. And so guys, we don't always think of it so much as a guy need, but think about that. Feeling safe, I don't know of any guy that will open up and share his heart with his wife unless he feels safe. If he knows he's gonna be criticized, knocked down, or the lady's Bible study is gonna find out about it, uh, it's not going to work. Guy really needs to feel safe. And guys also need to feel honored. It's, it's one of the greatest needs uh, of a man is to be respected and valued. And also a guy certainly needs to know that his wife's committed to him, that he has her heart. Uh, a friend of mine that I, I knew years ago uh, went through a very difficult marriage, and, and uh, he said, I just don't feel I have her heart. I remember the pain in his voice, you know, to not know that you have... Your wife's heart is a, is, is a very difficult thing. So, security. So if it's so valuable, I want to ask myself, how can I provide security for my spouse? How can I provide security for Doris? And uh, we believe there are four commitments we can make together today, promises or commitments, that will help bring life into our marriage, that will help bring security into our marriages, 
And these are more than just nice little skills. These are foundational things that will help us. And I want to give credit to Gary Smalley for some of these ideas. He got us thinking along this way. It's so uh, connected to what, what we've seen over the years. And so uh, he helped shape these thoughts today. So we're going to challenge every married couple to make these commitments. And we're going to unpack them first of all and then give you an opportunity to do that. The first one is, I will let God's truth change me. Everybody say me. Me. I will let God's truth change me me. You see, that gets my focus off of trying to change Doris. And most of us, if you've been married longer than a day, have probably tried to change your spouse. <laughs> and it just doesn't work, does it? It kind of sets the wrong cycle in motion. But if I'm making a commitment, I'm going to let God's word change me. I'm going to let God deal with my heart. I'm not going to judge her. I'm not going to condemn her. I'm not going to put pressure on her to change, even though there may be things that need change. But what about what about my stuff? And that's where we've got we to recognize God's word is what we need to live by. It's an obedience factor. Today in our worship time, I was thinking about all the songs we sang that talked about either surrender, uh, I turn my life over to you, uh, or I uh, talked about God's promises. We talked about, uh, uh, there was another phrase in there, I forget what it is now, but uh, obedience, being obedient. And so as a husband, I'm called to be obedient to what God's word says. It says to love my wife. To love Doris as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. You see, my focus needs to be, God, how can I walk that obedience out in my life? That truth in my life. You know, forget about the stuff that, you know, that I'd like to say that she should change. So it takes care of criticizing and complaining. In Matthew 7, uh, Jesus addressed this as one of these great relational messages that he had. And uh, I think it really applies to marriage. Matthew 7 Stop judging others, and you will not be judged. For others will treat you as you treat them. Whatever measure you use in judging others, it will be used to measure how you're judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. You know, it's, it's like... You know, that takes care of that picky, picky little stuff. It will always, you know, it's so easy to nitpick in a relationship and, and, and criticize or nag and complain. And it's like if she had a little speck of sawdust in her eye, and I'm walking around with a railroad tie in my eye, and I'm trying to say, you need, why don't you change that? Why did you do it that way? You shouldn't have done it. You know, all I'm doing is damaging her. I'm beating her up with this big log in my eye, and I look like a fool. The Bible says hypocrite. So let's let God's truth change us instead of blaming the other person. Yeah, just an exam personal example. When we were first married, uh, I did that. I was critical at times and would blame things on Don if something didn't go right. It was his fault. It was never mine, of course. And some of that was because that's a pattern I'd seen in my own family. And I think we need to recognize, and I'm sure you do know this, that what you've seen modeled is what you will do. That's what you tend to do. That's just the natural. And I realized that and I didn't want to, but it felt, it just seemed like I couldn't change it. So that's when I just got before God. I was really serious because I wanted to change. I didn't want to be like that. And I knew I couldn't change myself. And God, through just crying out to him over a little period of time, it doesn't, it's not like you change immediately. But I'll tell you what, I started to change. Ask him to exchange that tendency that I'd seen to be critical and exchange that for his grace 
you know, to love Don, accept him the way he was, and take personal responsibility in my areas that I needed to. And you know what's cool? God, where you're weak, he is strong. Because he's actually made me strong in that area now, and that's so awesome. She does not criticize me. You can ask our kids. You can ask uh, our friends. She does not put me down. It doesn't mean she's not honest, you know, if, if we need to deal with stuff, but she never does it in a critical... It's not that he became perfect, but... <laughs> Come on, you didn't need to add that. Let them no, think I am. No, he's great. Well, yeah. no, that's not honest then, so... <laughs> I told her just to tell everybody, hey, if your husband was like Don, everything would be perfect. <laughs> Well, but she almost. wouldn't say it. She wouldn't submit to me and say it. Okay, so, so, so the first commitment, the first commitment is I will let God's truth change me. It's my turn. <laughs> I will stay filled with God. Filled with God. You know, if we expect to do something God's asking us to do, we better do it the way he said to do it because that's the only way it's going to work, right? There is a supernatural grace to do this marriage thing if we stay connected to God strongly connected in a personal growing relationship with him. Uh, you know, our husbands, our wives cannot fill that void in us that only God can fill. And if we have an unrealistic expectation that they have to meet our every need, it's never going to happen because they can't. Now, there's a part of our needs that they meet, yes, that we need to meet in each other, but not everything. Spiritually, if we're really connecting to God, it's amazing how we're not as needy. For yeah, each other. That's so true. It's just, just neat how that works. That is. God's and it awesome. really helps to then lower expectations, takes the pressure off of your spouse. It's incredible. We let God fill that, that void. It, it makes an amazing difference. In, in Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, it's where it talks about don't be drunk with wine. It says, you know, wine's going to ruin your life. But look at this. Let the Holy Spirit fill and control your life. Let the Holy Spirit fill and control your life. And it talks about how you're how you'll be singing, you'll be happy, it'll affect your, your attitudes, you'll be thankful. And then it goes right into talking about relationships. It says, and then submit to one another, further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it starts talking about marriage. That's in the context of keeping ourselves filled with God. It makes such a difference in our marriage. It takes the pressure off, lowers expectations. The third commitment we want you to make today is, I will listen and communicate with love. I will listen and communicate with love. Really, really, really want to understand your spouse. I mean really, and guys especially, we need help in this area, but I think it applies to all of us. So really listen. Let's go to 1 Peter 3, verse 7. This is addressing husbands, and, uh, but it, I think it can apply to, to wives too. It says, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. You know that word honor, guys, just a little side journey here, means to highly prize and to give money to. <laughs> I'm serious. You look it up. That word honor means to give money to. Guys, this is a word from God to you. If you are stingy with your wife, you're out of obedience with God. I am serious about this. I tell you what, don't make her be the one struggling to how, how are you going to pay the bills. Don't let her be the one, you know, figuring up what's just the right time I can ask him for a new dress. Come on, guys, you should be taking initiative and making sure your wife has everything that she needs. And I don't mean you have to have, you know, be rich yourself. I'm just talking about a generous spirit. So that must have been for someone here. <laughs> Good for all of us, right? Must give honor to your wives. Treat her with understanding as you live together. She may be the weak, maybe weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. If you don't treat her as you should, 
your prayers won't be heard. Wow. That kind of brings it home, doesn't it? So guys, I'll go out and buy your wife a new dress and then pray. Okay. <laughs> hey, that sounds good. Don't you love the word? Ladies? <laughs> Special? So, but I will listen and communicate. See, that, to understand, you notice that how understanding is a big part of that, recognizing that you're on the same team. That way, you know, when stuff comes up, you're not getting defensive, you're not attacking each other or overreacting, but you're recognizing, hey, we're in the same team. When we got stuff to work out, we're going to work it out with understanding. We've learned every time that uh, we have a misunderstanding or an argument or something we disagree on, instead of letting it divide us, we say, how can we understand better? Why in the world would she do such a thing? Instead of accusing her, I'll say, honey, explain to me. You know, I try to learn more about her. And it's amazing, this fascinating woman that I married, you know, the stuff that she does that could irk me, there's a part of her that I learn to understand when I take the time to listen and draw that out instead of attacking, accusing, uh, or becoming defensive myself. We look at disagreements as an opportunity to have deeper intimacy. Because the more I know about her, the more she knows about me, the more she understands what's behind my reactions, uh, the more we can then come to a place where we understand each other better. Intimacy will only go as far as what truth goes. And we all desire to have a more intimate relationship. So I will listen. I will communicate with love. And the last one, I commit to serve you for the rest of my life. Wow, can I have that on tape? That's awesome. Uh, just get the tape, babe. Okay. Check the internet. It'll be there, the website, whatever. So I commit to serve you for the rest of my life. Serve you. You know what that means, to serve, is to die to you, to die to self? Because usually when you serve, you're doing it out of maybe not something you want to do necessarily, but a need that the other person has. But what an opportunity. Because that's really the only way we're truly happy, when death to self, life to Jesus, and serving others. And since when's it all about me anyway? Hmm. If I'm a Christian, right? Discover your spouse's needs and throw yourself into meeting those needs with God's help. Throw yourself into it. I mean, be passionate about it. Make it a lifelong pursuit to serve the person that God's given you. And let your spouse know that you're in it for life. Be sure that they're secure in that. One thing that Don does for me, every time he gives me a card, anytime, Christmas, anniversary, uh, I said Thanksgiving, I guess you don't give me one then. Valentine's, Valentine's Day, uh, birthday, all of those, he always signs it, your forever lover. Your forever lover. So that's always telling me he's in this for the long run, forever. He's going to be my lover. And that's so reassuring. And a security builder. I like to say, honey, I can't wait to see what you look like at 80. You're going to be so beautiful. I can't either. <laughs> I think I can, actually. And I'm going to still love you. No, 80's awesome. When I yeah. see Dottie Sheeler back there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we should not leave any doubt in the mind of our spouse that we're in this for the long run, that we are committed, we are married for life. And so this commitment means no more threats of divorce when the pressure's on. If you've spoken those kind of words in the heat of a battle or in frustration or maybe in, in a long, ongoing, challenging marriage, I want to encourage you. In fact, I think the Lord is commanding you to repent and take those words back. Because, see, words have power. And if you've spoken those words, you know, your spouse, you know, you may think, well, they've forgotten those words. But I'll tell you what, there's a little crack in there in that foundation unless you go in 
and, and say, God, I repent. And repent to God, repent to your spouse. And for God's sake, if you've spoken those words in front of your kids, repent to your kids. Because kids need to hear the security of, of you guys are committed for life. So there's four commitments we want to challenge you to make. I will let God's truth change me. I will stay filled up with God. I will listen and communicate with love. I will commit to serve you for the rest of my life. Those are four commitments. When we make these commitments and live those out, it brings a real deep security to a relationship where we feel safe with each other. We'll feel honored and we'll have that security that comes and the confidence that comes from knowing we're committed for life. It brings life into marriage. It will cause your marriage to be nurtured. You know, this will take you deeper than, than surface marriage skills. It will bring you to a place where God will give you direction. God will speak to you. God will show you how to love your spouse. And it will be an example to the world around us. It will be an example to generations that follow us of Christ's love for this world. That's the way God designed marriage to be, marriage for life and to have life in marriages. So today, I'd like all married couples to stand at this time. If you're here and your spouse is with you, if you're married, I encourage you to stand. And uh, you can get as close to each other as you'd like, face each other. Uh, those of you that are here, you're, if you're not married, or if your spouse isn't with you, you're seated, uh, I want to invite you to close your eyes and pray. Be sure and keep your eyes closed so the married couples around you, you know, feel very safe. You're not watching them. You're not listening to them. But you're praying for the, the people around you. So married couples, I'd like to lead you in these four commitments today. And um, if you're not ready to make that commitment to each other, you know, maybe you're in a real struggle right now, then just be honest enough to say, we need to talk, let's talk more about this another place, but I want to encourage all of you to make these commitments if you're free to do that. Uh, so I will lead the men through uh, these commitments, and I'll lead out, and then you repeat after me, uh, but you're not saying it to me, you're saying it to your wife, so it'd be good to look at her, okay? And uh, then Doris will lead the ladies through the same commitments. So you ready to do that? All right, boy, some of you guys are just all cozied up there already, it's looking pretty good. All right. Here we go, men. I will let God's truth change me. I will let God's truth change me. I will stay filled with God. I will stay filled with God. I will listen and communicate with love. I will listen and communicate with love. I commit to serve you for the rest of my life. I commit to serve you for the rest of my life. Wow. How about all of us say it together, we are married for life. Let's say it. We are, we are married, married for, for life. life. Woo. That's great.